and welcome to series three of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear stories and experiences of incredible women from diverse backgrounds and perspectives in science and technology. Our conversation gives us insights into some fascinating innovations, but we also get to relate. Here on Innovation, I give women a platform to be heard and seen because this exact conversation is in video format on YouTube. And honestly, every episode is inspiring and uplifting in some way because we hear about what they've learned along their life's journeys, both personally and professionally. This week, I talked to industrial design engineer, assistant professor, Elise de Koning. Uh, I'm Elise de Koning. I'm an associate professor in mechanical engineering at Bath. Um, but I'm trained um, industrial designer, so I've got a design background and that's what I'm bringing to that department. I've been there since 2004. Industrial design, how's that? Because uh, I guess it is a branch of mechanical engineering. Yeah, so I studied industrial design, which was a BSc. Um, so it was fairly technical, um, but very light compared to where I'm, te- where I'm teaching, teaching now, the technical content. Um, and a bit, um, I suppose I'd, if you wanted to know a bit about my background, I, I, I think if I look back on how I ended up there, I, um, I was really interested in fashion as a typical teenager and I had a lot of craftspeople in my family. So it made all my own clothes from my, when I was about six till, yeah, six till 16 kind of thing. Um, from a really young age, I was making things. And then, um, but my parents were both physicists. Um, they both studied physics and they met at UCL in London. And uh, so I could do, I think I could naturally do maths and physics. And I was getting good grades in those. And I was always interested in how the world worked, but I was a typical kind of teenager wanting to go into fashion. And I got studying product design at Brunel was a kind of compromise it was a kind of a thing that um yeah that was going to be somewhere between studying fashion and and something a bit more hardcore um and um and it's interesting because I found a few years ago I found in the loft one of those um um you know tests that you can do that profile you as a person and uh, at the, in the in the at the back, it gives you all these careers advice, and it was literally like eight pages of different kinds of engineering, and then there was product design and garden design and architecture and a few other you know a few other things. But I just literally, as a teenager, I ignored the first nine pages of engineering, <laughs> basically, because I didn't think I wanted to do engineering. Uh, and then, and now I've come full circle, you know, I've been working in an engine mechanical engineering department for 18 years. <laughs> so I think, I mean, you'll have more insight on this. Do you think that people always end up where they're meant to be? 1000%. Um, I think, you know, where you end up is where you're meant to be. Um, and it's so fascinating that you had an interest in fashion because me too, um and it's so interesting that you ended up in engineering you know it's not a conventional choice for a woman why did you um not get intimidated and scared off and kind of leave the industry of engineering yeah. 
well this is really interesting and I reflect on this quite a lot so I grew up in Holland so my dad was working for the European Space Agency um, and so I grew up in the in, you know in the 70s and 80s in um, in Holland where they had this massive public push for um, emancipation it was what it was was called and we got sort of indoctrinated at school and there was a lot of stuff on you can do anything um you know don't limit your you know girls can do anything you know like loads of videos of female firefighters and what have you and um and also the 80s were quite androgynous in a way in the the fashion it wasn't very um it was a special time I think um and so I was convinced, and also my parents always said yes to everything. So my sister and I were fixing motorbikes, um, fixing our own motorbikes and so on, as well as, you know, making fashion. So it did span a range of different activities um, that were not, they weren't all classic female oriented things that I was doing at the time. I did um I did a, a lot of, um, I did martial arts and there were various things that were kind of very, you know, kind of mixed that weren't particularly um, feminine or, you know, that were mixed. And the society in Holland was pushing really hard um, at the time to sort of correct this imbalance between male and female. But what was interesting is that they weren't as far ahead as, as the UK was at the time, because my mum was one of one of only two mums in my primary school who actually worked. Um, so they were doing a big public campaign to make things. So I honestly believe that we were living in a post-feminism um, um, situation until about what, six years ago. I'd been sort of happily ignoring gender issues, even in engineering, because I thought I was just operating in a gender neutral way in my environment, never intimidated by anyone. Um, and some of that is also because my dad is quite a, um, a big character. So dinner conversations were always very um, debates, you know. So I'm always really comfortable in a room full of men and having, you know, absolute debates. I don't even feel my gender at that in the room. I just, I just am. Um, but then obviously about six years ago, I start to see the stats and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, we're still massively <laughs> going in the wrong direction. <laughs> uh, what's going on? Yeah, um, and and also realizing that I have a role to correct or um, to 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 change that. So I suddenly thought, oh, hang on a minute, I'm going to have to engage with this um, because it's not fixed, and if anything, it's not moving in the right direction. Gender issues are such an interesting thing because it's very very multi layered and it's so complex. Yes, yeah. um, you know, it's interesting. You talk about your dominant. I'm not dominant, but like large character of a father. Because um, yeah. I also have a very large character of a father. And um, I was just actually visiting them this weekend. And um, my mum kind of wants to take a back seat and just let him shine in social situations. But it means that she's very quiet. Um, and I bring this up because I think it's really affected the way I want to be as a woman in society, because I don't want to take a back 
seat. Um, and certainly as an engineer, I've done so much that I have a lot to say. Yeah. Um, and I do find it very confusing looking at my parents and just going, why is my mum so subordinate compared to my dad when I know she's got a lot to give? Um, has it ever, have you ever looked at your parents? You know, if your mum, your mum, my mum was also a working mum. Um, but have you ever looked at your parents and just gone, um, where do I fit? Yeah, it's like or more more like the question for me is more like what how have how have they influenced where I've ended up? Um and what was really interesting is that my mum, um, yeah, so my mum played a sort of supporting role for the whole family. You know, she paid for my dad to do his PhD. She got a job after they graduated, paid paid for their they got married, she paid for him effectively to, you know, supported them whilst he finished his PhD. Um, and then his career was always the one that made them decide to, you know, move to America and so on. And then she would pick up the best work, the most interesting work along the way and do it kind of part time, especially after she'd had a family. So she was like in the first bank in Chicago, the first bank in the world to have a computer. And she was work she worked there. You know, so she in her own right has got some really interesting bits of work, but she never had any ambition to lead or at work or anything like so for years and years and years. She would she worked as a computer programmer um, in the Netherlands when we were living there. And, you know, she had no ambitions to climb any kind of career ladder Um and worked very much part time, you know, used to come home and because um, in Holland schools had lunch breaks and she would come home. She would drive to work, do a couple of hours, drive home, give us lunch, <laughs> drive back to a couple of hours, you know. So she was very much, um, yeah, prior, her priorities were, were not on her career. But actually, when I became a mum, suddenly I was like, well, you know, like this is... Um, a really important part of your life as a as a job is to do a good job as a parent and making time for that is also really so I also have I have much more empathy to the decisions she made um along the way but so yeah it used to frustrate me in a similar way to you that it used to I, I used to ask myself the question why doesn't she want something better for her career you know because <laughs> my dad was having this amazing career in the space agency I mean he was he got to the last four of being selected to be an astronaut <laughs> I mean it was just nuts um and then in contrast she was you know working as a computer programmer going you know not yeah, I mean, I don't want to be cruel <laughs> because I've got respect for all the things that she's did as well, but different decisions and different roles in the family. So, um, but yeah, you know, it's really taken me a long time to reflect on it. <laughs> it's really interesting hearing what your mum did because, um, you know, I talked to many women on this uh, series and different women approach being a woman in many, many different ways. 
Um, I remember having a conversation with a Russian lady who said she firmly believes that women should get children out of the way early, um, have children early, and then when they're grown up and they are autonomous, then you can get your life back. And she did a PhD in artificial intelligence really late in her career, sort of like late 40s. And her career completely took off and she's like flying high in her own right. Um, and then there are other women that leave it till late um, and sometimes never do the family thing because it's been left too late. Um, and so what's fascinating about your mother's story, and I can see, I can start to see how it influenced you, is that your mum was really essential for ensuring that your dad had an amazing career. And by playing that essential role, she got to have the children and do all that. So she probably didn't get all the cash and prizes for the way she was handling it. But what a new age way of doing things. I mean, she got to have it all um, apart from the accolades. And it's just, it's kind of genius. Yeah. But I also, you know, if you think about all the, like the Buddhist philosophy or an, or anything like that, like the bigger picture, some people just actually are operating in a really wise um, scenario. I, they're not driven by cash and accolades. Um, I can't picture myself, my mum ever being um, driven by that kind of recognition is okay. very yeah it's that that would be have to be one I still need to ask her is like yeah I'm, I can't really put my finger on that but I, I think I think all of us are like you know there's self-actualization isn't there so, <laughs> I'm using the right term um <clears throat> and yeah, yeah. What what drives us to do the things? Like, am I genuinely doing this job because I'm I'm uh, I care about other people's outcomes? How much recognition do I feel I need? Um, we I sometimes have those conversations with peers. You know, there's a lot of senior academics who there's a few senior academics who don't go for professor positions, for example, because actually, as a as an associate professor, which is I've been now for eight years or so you 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 can do any role in the university I could go all the way up to vice chancellor level I think you don't have to have the the professor title um the full the full chair so some some academics senior academics they just don't they just let go of wanting that label and they just get on and do the really interesting work where the work in itself is rewarding um so you know clearly you've been surrounded by some pretty impressive people but I want to mm. know more about you I mean <sighs> you know you're a mother you're an associate yeah. professor um yeah. you, I mean how has it been juggling all of that it's a bit of a do you want the fertility story <laughs> That's like it's part of the story, I'm afraid. Yeah. Oh, um, 
yeah so I had a premature ovarian failure like um probably so soon after I got married um when I got married I was working in design consultancy which is quite like um stressful and you have to travel at a drop of a hat to go and see clients and all of this and I had a PhD I'd got my PhD and um suddenly there was a vacancy for lectureship and I thought I'd have just got married and I was like we knew we wanted a family and I was like oh a job at a university is going to be more stable than in the consultancy so I'll apply for this lectureship at Bath I applied for one at UWE as well, which is in Bristol. And anyway, so I applied for a couple of lectureships. And um, and um, so then we bought a house, got married. We had a house. I had a stable job. I had all of this. And I was like, okay, we can start a family, like planned. Uh, and then discovered after two years or so or a year and a half, um, had some tests and stuff and discovered that I had had complete ovarian failure, like probably like four years earlier or something like that, an autoimmune, um, probably an autoimmune disease. So I had absolutely no eggs and no way of having, <laughs> having a family um, without fertility treatment and a donor and, and, and all of that sort of thing. And um, but then six months later, or, lo- or less than that, we were offered donated embryos and um, unbelievably lucky, like to straight away succeed with that first attempt. And so I had already spent two years thinking I would never be a mum at that point. And so getting pregnant just meant uh, was just completely more important than anything career thing, because I'd gone through this kind of grieving process of thinking I would never um, uh, be a mum or never have the experience of being pregnant and 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 all of that so then I was the very very exceptional academic at Bath who actually like took masses of maternity leave (laughs) I went back to work half time which was unheard of I dropped I I handed over all my PhD students, all my papers. I handed them all over, didn't didn't continue them. Um, And people would ask other other academics who were pregnant would ask me, oh, how did you how are you doing that? And I was like, well, I just don't care. I don't care about losing this job. It doesn't matter as much as this. Um, And that was really rare. Um, really really rare in academia and I think it was because I'd already grieved Um, I just felt like it was such a bonus to have the experience of being a mum and having the full experience of like carrying the pregnancy and you know and being able to do all of it um, was just a complete joy Um, so it just took number one priority. You know I because I don't have children and um, I basically always put my education and my career first and as a result time just ran away with things and I then sort of like you know because I think in order it's just my personal belief but I think in order to have a family you really need to meet the right person and I um, didn't meet anyone during my sort of childbearing um, 
really fertile years that I wanted to have children with. Um, and, you know, I'm in a very happy relationship now, but I'm probably, it's kind of too late. You know, it's a joint decision and it's kind of too late to have children. And I think it's such a difficult time in a woman's life um, when you're kind of saying goodbye to this idea of being a mum. And one of the things that's really helped is talking to mothers and them telling me that having children is amazing and they love their kids more than anything that they've ever known to love. But it is not the be it and end all. Now, talking to a woman that's done both, you know, got this really interesting career that you sound like you have thrown yourself into, um, but also being a mother, like, what is the reality? <laughs> oh, it was really bad for a few years. Um, In what sense? Well, I, we had a head of department at the time and um, we, as academics, we're on probation for three years. And I was pregnant during, during that time. And then I came back half time and I failed my, failed my probation. Uh, or they had to extend it because I hadn't reached my targets. Um, and at the time, again, they didn't have any, they didn't have much track record with people coming back part time. Um, they, so they just extended, I came back half time, 50%, and they set the same targets, but extended me instead of extending my probation for one year, they extended it for two years. So that was like a five-year probationary period that I was on, and um, and all the time you feel like you're being you're being judged, and you, you know, and all the metrics, and, and 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 that's that's pretty awful. And actually, if you're part time and you're working fifty percent, you've got just enough time to check your email and <laughs> deliver your teaching. Let, so you don't have big chunks of time to write grant proposals and do all the things that were that they were actually measuring us on, you know, big things like doing big research projects and bringing in uh, funding um, for research and, and, and writing, uh, you know, journal papers and things. Um, whereas now the university changed their policy quite a lot. So instead of extending someone like me for a longer period with the same KPIs they now realize they have to just the, the put your performance indicators proportional to your to the proportion of of work that you're on um, but at the time they they were just making it up because they hadn't really come across cases like me very much before um, and I had a head of department who was misogynistic at the time but th that person didn't last very long um, um, and that was all because you wanted to really uh, devote your time to being a mum, given yeah. everything you had gone through. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went to like toddler groups and things. And all of my colleagues who has, have had, who I've watched have babies in the last 18 years have completely missed all that out. They've just, they breastfeed whilst writing a journal paper. 
<laughs> and they never let go of their PhD students. They didn't really hand them over. So they're like constantly during maternity leave, they're like reading chapters of people's PhDs. And no, no, I don't really see any other people who've let go like, like I did. And do you have any regrets of the way you threw yourself into motherhood? Um, I don't have any regrets because I was, although I was on probation for five years and it felt hairy at the time because they can potentially let you go at any stage saying, no, you're not good enough. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Five years later, I made senior lecturer. So, which is associate prof, you know, which is the position I'm in now. So, so actually I did really well. (laughs) did really well but I'm still in the middle of parenting I've got like a 15 year old and I'm actually going through some hairy stuff you know like is just there's still so many stages to go through until he's completely an adult um so yeah it's still still really exciting and a bit terrifying (laughs) yeah I mean you know I'm never gonna know what that's like and I kind of really hang on to the words of mothers um in knowing because you know I I, you asked me before like you know about destiny and um looking back I made all the decisions I made because I didn't know any better and you know, I just find that the whole motherhood topic is such a really big deal when it comes to women in STEM and probably women in careers. Um, But, you know, I'm from a STEM world. And so I'm really fascinated to know how women do it, because I think I was in a generation of women that were trying to figure it out. Like today, you get young 20-year-olds who are already freezing their eggs. Whereas I was in a generation where the technology for freezing your eggs was kind of being developed. And so I never thought to do it in my 20s. And so the technology is there. I wouldn't now do it in my 40s, you know? Yeah. So um, I just, I don't know. I kind of want to shed light so that anyone watching this episode can make better decisions for themselves based on what we've both been through. I mean, we're different in the sense, okay, our similarity is that we went into engineering, right? But we're different because you wanted to tick all of these boxes. Whereas I was like, I can't possibly tick the motherhood box because I am too focused on like, trying to figure out my career stuff and well done you for juggling that as well because I couldn't fathom it yeah well there were a few really big influences like um when I joined Bath I had um, a senior colleague who's the head of design who I fell under you know fell under in mechanical engineering who was unbelievably family oriented and I remember being absolutely shocked because I came in from the design consultancy where everyone was like hip. It was all like hip and trendy and like fast moving and prestigious, you know, and, and a bit, little bit glitzy and stuff. 
and I came in and, and we would be having meetings. And this is with a professor of design, head of design at mechanical engineering in Bath, quite an important role. And whenever his wife phoned, he would just always pick up the phone and be like, oh, hello, love. It's just like stuck. And I remember the first time it happened, I was in complete shock because the whole meeting was being interrupted by his family life and the love for his family. Mm. you know and he would always ask me about like the first thing would be a conversation about family and home life um so he definitely flipped things on my on on its head in terms of you know career and professionalism and all of that I was like oh fa- family first um uh yeah so that so that was quite an influence um and then what I do now is you know because I look after a lot of people I'm head of design myself now (laughs) um is is I talk about pace a lot and I'm really lucky in um in academia because it's a really long slow career and we've all got caught up in the speed at which the world is is working so I've got a lot of young colleagues who are applying for professor now you know and they see it as as every five years they want to make a big um promotion and um and and actually what used to be is like you used to get the professor role was a kind of end of your career like this is that your global standing so it was it was like there's only three steps there's only three promotions in well there's only two promotions almost in in academia so so like if you achieve them all within the last first 15 years you know it's not really necessary to achieve them at that pace um, so I talk about pace all the time when I'm doing performance reviews. It's like, are you doing this at a pace that's sustainable to you, where you can actually um, balance the other things that you want to do in life, like maybe travel or see family or have a hobby or keep your body healthy? You know, because people are just, it's so easy to be completely absorbed in your career it seems more important than everything else but actually everything else allows you to perform in your career so I have to yeah. you know I have to remind people of that I have to flip that on its head quite regularly every woman needs to have a very strong sense of what she wants whether she gets it or not is separate but I think it's really important I've experienced this. It sounds like you've also gone through that process of like really figuring out how you want your life to look. Um, And then, you know, once you get a clear sense of that, like opportunities come your way and you can either choose to grab it or not and, and all of that. Um, And so that's, I think um, the main sort of take home message I've got from chatting with you today is that it's really important to figure out, your own um, values, um, your own objectives in life. And and other people may have very different ideas for their own life. And that's okay. It's not a commentary on you or, you know, other people shouldn't affect your ideals. Um, So with that said, then, like, is there anything you would do differently? Imagine there's a younger woman who's watching this being really inspired by your story is there anything that you would say you know just be careful of you know oh gosh 
Um, I, th- I think what was springing to mind whilst you were lovely making a nice summary <laughs> um, <clears throat> is that be open to, for, the, for your own values to change. Like, don't set it all. The only thing, limit I would say on what you've said is like, don't get locked too locked in. Keep checking in with yourself. Like, what really matters to me at this stage? What's really important to me? Like, I've had a really big, it took me many years to decide whether I wanted to go for another promotion, for example. And I think because like you said, you know, knowing what you want and then moving towards it makes sense. You know, that's that's what can drive you. Um, but it takes, you know, allow yourself to reflect and um, and change those those goals um, as you, as you move through life, because you're going to be massively influenced by the things that happen along the way. Right. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's it's it's, it's change shifting the shifting the route occasion you know occasionally when it feels right uh, when it's important to do so do we need to change the public perception of engineering um or was it a case of you fitting into something that you're really passionate about and yeah you're not conventional but you may do like which which one was it um yeah I think I think I think I was just just lucky lucky to have been exposed to a lot of different things through from when I was young so I think that that's really important and I think that has a really big effect like visiting European space um, agency where my dad was working and seeing all the all the labs where everything was being built like everything from satellites and so on that all being and then at home like I said you know working on motorbikes um and so that was already like a bit of a spectrum at the at the time of exposure to engineering things that I didn't even put an engineering label on and maybe I should have done because then maybe I would have chosen engineering to start with which I didn't because I just didn't didn't know what engineering was and um yeah, and there's a massive problem with that is that, you know, I, I can see now that my son comes along regularly to the department and he comes regularly to uni and almost none of the other kids around have that experience or background. So they don't think it's normal. They're just not used to seeing it. And so if you just normalize exposure to these things, um, and then find out that that has a major role in making the world a better place and making things work and making things happen and solving the climate crisis and sorting out healthcare technologies and curing cancer. And, you know, that actually um, that's where you get into it is just to go to places like that where you can experience and be part of some kind of engineering environment. So we just need you know, everyone needs to visit, basically, just keep, keep I, I don't know, yeah, being in the environment and starting to see it as normal rather than tucked away in a specialist lab somewhere. Thank you for being the person that is trying to normalise women going into engineering and women doing what has traditionally been seen as very masculine subjects. And thank you for doing it with a grace and a warmth and a empathetic approach 
to engineering because I really feel that that is what is lacking in engineering and it's women like you that are really changing the face of engineering um, in a direction that we have so desperately needed for so many decades. Elise, thank you so much for being such an inspirational role model in engineering who has really um, shown that it is possible to have it all. It's not easy, but it is possible. And what is required to have it all is a real sense of knowing what you want. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for interviewing me. Um, I wanted to ask a thousand questions about you and find out more about you. So it's kind of frustrating from my side. <laughs> Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews and the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery, self-evolution and inclusivity on innovation. Let's all strive to be in the best versions of ourselves and celebrate others being themselves too. As always, be kind and loving and I wish you all a great week.